When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is One Hate Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven to you. Robbery homicides take me. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me is a journalist turned venture capitalist by the name of Rose Powell. She is a friend, and you will say, why the hell would you have a journalist turned venture capitalist perhaps coming onto One Heat Minute? And even more so when you find out that Rose has not seen the movie Heat. But what you're going to find out is that Rose has been a part of the show in secret uh, for some of the episodes that you haven't heard yet. She was sitting by and observing the show record with some of our awesome guests chiming in, giving some feedback, always welcome because she is very awesome. And at the end of an episode, Rose happened to ask that it was being recorded, Blake, when are you going to get to these questions? And asked a ream of amazing philosophical, sociological, uh, uh, gender-based questions and just questions in terms of like storytelling. And I said, when you come on the show, Rose. So it is without further ado, welcome Rose Powell to One Heat Minute. Officially. Thanks for having me. Thanks you, for having me, Blake. You are more than welcome. Thank you so much for such uh, being such an awesome support and advocate of the show. We very much appreciate it. Um, and today we've got a real ripper of a minute. We've had a, a massive enduring scene um, now uh, that we've been going through in One Heat Minute, which is... Everything that's been happening with an interaction beginning in a bookstore and then a sort of diner and now uh, Amy Brenneman Edie's house and sort of seeing the layers of Neil McCauley peeled back so that we're not just seeing uh, this guy who's a bit of a cold-blooded killer uh, and a bit of a sort of, uh, uh, I guess, gangster if you want to call him, but you're sort of seeing the man behind this sort of very clinical uh, and 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 exacting killer, um, and it's been happening really now. We've been, you know, we're into episode thirty-two now with Rose. It's been happening pretty much since about episode twenty-seven, twenty-eight. So it's about a six-minute scene all up, and we're now right at the end. There's this uh, this minute closes out so beautifully, cutting into a whole new arc of the story. But this one kind of features a really important uh, sort of moment climactic moment of this uh, interaction and we're going to listen to it now and then we're going to come back and talk about it.
Rose, you've watched yep. that minute in isolation yeah. and a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've watched the minute a couple of times now and I found it um, quite unusual in the sense that most of what I knew about Heat is that it's a um, fairly explosive film about um, a collision between a criminal group and I think a police officer. Um, I wasn't expecting to have what is such a, I guess, a, a tender moment and such an intimate moment to be the one that we'd be talking about today. Yeah, it is very, and it's 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 very intimate and very intense, and uh, mm. and it kind of it does trail off with this weird sort of quiet longing. It's got one of the what 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 I think is like one of the most beautiful and cute gestures ever for a one night stand I think in cinema which is that he brings a cup <laughs> towards the end of the minute brings a cup with a little origami serviette on there as like his gesture of him leaving and um it, yeah it's 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 interesting there the, the I think these are the moments though Rose when I think about when I what when I'm now exploring heat in a much more detail Although you've got those bigger bombastic moments, um, these ones seem to sing when we talk about them a lot because the bombastic mm. moments are just so perfectly executed. There's a lot, not a lot you can sort of gush about. I think it's about these weird silences and knowing when to have space for these characters to convey stuff that I have a lot of great time interacting with with the scenes. I think one of the things I found really interesting about this particular scene was after he places the glass of water with his this cute little napkin wrapped around it next to her, next to her on the side of the bed. Um, he then stands and looks at her for actually quite a count. So I think it's almost 15, 20 seconds. It is 15 seconds. Um, it's about 15 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he stands there and looks at her and watching this scene in, in isolation and knowing only knowing a little bit about this character and, and only really knowing from based on Amy Brenneman and her beautiful face, she's probably not cast as a nasty character. <laughs> no. So I think knowing very little about the both of them, but then watching that 15 seconds and going, there are so many different ways to read this, which reminded me of one of your earlier, earlier or later, I'm not sure where it fits in the film, <laughs> with Garth Franklin, where you saw one thing and, and Garth saw something quite different in the microfacial expressions that were going on. Yes. Um, and I think probably this moment is meant to be, there's definitely, you're right, there's definitely a sense of longing there, but there's also, you're not quite sure, really, I mean, from a one-night stand point of view, you're really not sure if he... If, if it's going to continue, and you suspect that it might, um, and, and there's the thoughtful gesture of the glass, but there's so many different ways to read the patterns of expressions that run across his face that I thought it was kind of very, it was actually quite a fun thing to come to cold because I have no idea if they continue to see each other. Um, but I would guess perhaps they do. It seems like there's quite a strong, he certainly seems to be feeling quite a strong connection to her at the, at the end of this minute. Yeah, I, I think the more that I've watched it... Um... The more that I watch it, I feel the certainty more. So having seen this minute many times in the context of the film and then also just a few revisions before we've just watched it now. Um, earlier takes, it's really strange, earlier takes, I was absolutely sure that this was the last time that he was going to see it. And I felt mm. like that that extremely careful, carefully placed glass is something that was like a... a a part like a, a weird parting gift in his mind, but mm. watching this minute back, I, it's I, I think that it's it helps him form later minutes because it, it plagues him. 
I don't think he like. I think if he places the glass and then it, it, it's the end of the scene, it's a drastically different scene. But now I'm so enthralled by that moment because when he makes that phone call later, I think when you watch this movie for the first time, Rose, after having done this episode, you're gonna you're gonna have a totally different experience with this scene. But I think many times I've watched this movie, there's a phone call that happens, and you're right, they do. There is another interaction. There is another time that they hook up. Um, and that, you know, there is an ongoing something that's going on. He he makes a phone call to her from a dinner. He's out with his crew and their families. And so they're sitting mm-hmm. around a table and he's looking at them all and they're all smiling and happy and having a joke. Uh, and he goes and makes a phone call to, to Edie, Amy Brenneman, which are going to sort of, we'll unpack that minute when we get to it. It's not too far away. And every time he made that phone call, it felt insincere. Like, mm-hmm. it felt like it was very reactionary. But when you look at his face in this moment, and she's so peaceful, and she's so calm, um, I'm definitely leaning towards there was almost a certainty that he was coming back. That gesture with the cup is almost like a calling card. Even though he's kind of... What you'll probably realise when you watch it, he's a bit dopey with the basic human interactions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I think I think in that moment, he's like that. And what's great about Amy Brenneman's performance is later on when... when he calls her she's kind of she's once again sort of slightly prickly and defensive like oh i thought you know i felt like maybe that was a one night stand and he was like no 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 it definitely wasn't and so i think that there's a great what you'll see is there's this great conflict i think where he thinks in that moment he's doing a gesture that is like is his calling card i'll be back um but yeah i yeah it's so good every yeah he's agonizing in that uh, in that moment whether he should stay or whether he should go. And I think it maybe helps accelerate some of his thoughts of getting getting out of this getting out of this crime. Getting out of this getting out of this gig. I think it, I think you're right. It's very interesting watching the um he does that, that fifteen seconds does finish with him looking resolved. Um and you do kind of see throughout that period the sense of making a decision. Um it's just kind of not knowing the film interesting to know you kind of feel that he's made a decision and he'll either never see her again or, or might. I, w- I want to point out that having watched it now a couple of times, obviously the napkin around the glass is really cute, but also it appears to be a really nice way not to leave any fingerprints on the glass. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, That's... <laughs> which, which alarmed me a little bit. Um, <laughs> but then I'm like, well, you wouldn't leave a glass of water, one, your fingerprints everywhere else, but also you wouldn't leave a glass of water next to someone um, just because there is this steely, quite a steely resolve to the character that does make you, even coming to this relatively cold, does make you aware that this is probably not the kind of person Edie's mum would have wanted her to be involved with. Absolutely not. Up. Absolutely not. He's not a he's not a catch uh, in 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 so many in so many words. <laughs> um, poor mm. poor poor Mr. Neil McCauley. Um, I want to go back because this is this is where you can hyper um, analyze some some heat tidbits. There is a scene that unfolds slightly later because this is and, and we won't focus on it too much. But just to say that um, when Neil McCauley sort of finds out uh, that Vincent Hanna is is on his tail, so to speak, he's got some heat around the corner in the form of some cops. Um, and there's a moment where he's looking through Vincent's jacket, his, his file around all of his police career, and it says that he's in the Marines. 
And I learned a really interesting tidbit that is in this minute, really specifically, about that when Neil gets up, he has a tattoo on his shoulder, on his left arm, like uh, as he's coming up on, on his upper bicep. Apparently, that is a marine tattoo. So, um, it's this other weird, interesting connection that knowing Michael Mann, he would absolutely have planted there, but it really explains uh, a lot and informs a lot about Neil's discipline. And actually for me, just in that split second, the fact that he's a Marine, um, and the fact that he lives such a Spartan lifestyle and the fact that he's, you know, he's got a uniform, these gray suits and 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 especially his tactical proficiency which you're going to see in the more action-packed scenes later on in the film and have already seen early in the film um it just is another weird interesting echo that this is a guy you know maybe went to vietnam maybe did a couple of tours maybe came back and and had a sort of uh uh you know that post-vietnam bad experience at the time when america had that reaction you know, that sort of rejection of soldiers and, and things like that. So some of them didn't didn't exactly have a great return to normal life. Um, so it became really interesting for me when I watched this scene again as well as like, you know, it's so revealing, you, you know, finding out about characters in their intimate moments. And with Neil, literally, when he's with his clothes off, he's got a marine tattoo. So um, really interesting little, little tiny moment there. Yeah. Well, that is interesting. And I think also... Um... The thing that really struck me about this moment in particular is actually occurs right after you, you see him get up, you might see the tattoo. I'd miss the tattoo completely. <laughs> but watching it, watching it now as you're talking, you see the tattoo. And then the camera does uh, zoom in on Edie. And it, it moves slightly to the side twice. And it's it's kind of that, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure the correct film word, but you know in a horror film where you get that sense that you're, when you're watching the victim or when you're watching yes. when the camera feels like it's not, not, not in the sense it's, it's threatening, but you get the sense that the camera's like on a human eye level. And it does this quite like quite an interesting little pan in on her, which I thought was wrote, like noticeable and, and perhaps a little, I'm not sure if invasive is the right word, but it was actually quite a noticeable little zoom in, um, which I thought was interesting given the rest of the film, the rest of this minute rather um, is much more smooth in its camera work. Yeah, it's really, this is, like, if you compare the two scenes... Oh, hello, Bessie. Sorry, <laughs> That's all right. Rosie uh, has a, an amazingly cute puppy called Bessie, uh, uh, who is probably standing up to a leaf that's hit the door or perhaps a guest. Um, so that's cool. But no, there's a great, um, in, in like literally in some of the earlier minutes of the film where you first meet Vincent Hanna and his wife, Justine, they have a really interesting and intimate sex scene. And one of the, um, as sort of as their introduction, they're sort of in the throes of sort of, um, uh, um, sort of some passion and, um, that the camera work is really organic and, intimate in that scene particularly and it does a lot of really interesting zooms and flashes and or or things that are out of focus come sharp into focus with sort of slowed down movement so for me it's like and 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 although we've had that passionate intensity and electricity and the kiss that sort of really starts this scene off this minute um 
Mm. Yeah, it's the only, it, it's it's kind of funny that we don't actually trail that through into a sex scene with Neil. We just sort of see the end of it. Um, but yeah, you're right. Mm. I, I I don't I don't. Other than now the fingerprints that make me actually think that that's a potential. You know, that's that's a great character moment, but also really kind of um, uh, potentially pretty creepy. Um, yeah, I I just saw that as that like one intimate flash that he couldn't take his eyes off it. Like no matter what he was doing, it's like it, that was part of the wrestle for me. Maybe that he's like getting out of bed and he's looking back and the camera assumes his position, assumes his perspective. And I think, yeah, that's that yeah. moment where he's sort of sort of dizzily looking in and, and looking at her because, you know, apart from that beautiful face, she's got that wonderful hair. She's got that amazing yeah. <laughs> curly yeah, hair. Yeah. So um, so she, he's looking down sort of at, at that framing her face to perfection. Mm. And I think one of the things that struck me about this this moment other than continually reading slightly more alarming things into it than are probably there with the fingerprints and the <laughs> and the, the slightly predatory camera movements. Um, I think what struck me was this is clearly a very emotional scene. Yeah. But it's 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 so restrained. And I thought that was interesting because I understand that a huge part a huge part of Michael Mann's work is exploring and dealing with masculinity. And this is a very at least from from this scene, appears to be a very uh, reserved possibly um self-limiting character in that way yes definitely yeah man, man has uh, uh man littered throughout his entire work are obsessive professionals who are almost like moths to flames like they're always skating on the edge of uh you know they're they're always sort of dancing on the edge of volcanoes um and and with each of their different professions Usually, um, they're they're sort of peering down from on high at what could be a normal life, but they they've got this impulse or this lure that's taking them to something that is basically endangering their life. And so Neil McCauley is that one hundred and one. Um, and you have it with uh, Tom Cruise's uh, Tom Cruise's assassin Vincent in Collateral. You've got it with um, Colin Farrell's cop uh, uh, Sonny in Miami Vice, which is you know, a guy who, you know, is dangerously skating too close to um, the undercover world to actually becoming criminal, losing his morality and getting himself killed. Um, so, yeah, he, he, he wrestles with these guys a lot and it's almost um, that's that sort of masochistic, that punishment, you know, that, like, mm-hmm. I can't... And that's what I think about with Neil almost. It's like he has to there's sort of like he has to sort of abandon and and sort of get back into his rhythm um to re- to sort of reset his entire makeup if you like with 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 Edie like it's this is a this is a holiday you know this this mm. m- this interaction for me the way that I read it it's like a holiday for the character because he's he's not yeah he's he's got that but yeah you're you're totally right man is obsessed with these guys he's obsessed with these hyper professionals on on both sides of the law um and and is is very interested in that but 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 to your point neil is definitely the more restrained one of these kinds Mm. of characters because if you go to vincent vincent's the yeller the hyper emotional he's very manic he's up and down you can see like he wears his emotion very much on his sleeve even in in his personal life um and he does have that the the spectrum but neil is you know, even even in this most vulnerable moment, I guess, of the film, emotionally vulnerable moment, he's still such a closed off thing. And she's mm-hmm. so the, the the minutes that precede this, there's such a beautiful candor and honesty from Amy Brenneman's character Edie, where you know, in the in the exact preceding minute, 
uh, she says, do you get lonely? Because he says he's a travelling salesman. And he gives such mm. a crummy answer. He says, he's like, I'm alone, but I'm not lonely. It's, and, and in the moment, he's like, uh, mm. I don't know what you call it, Rose. He's like touching his face. So he's lying. And you can t- clearly tell he's, he's done a, an uncharacteristic tick where he's touching his mouth. And he goes, are you lonely? And she goes, yeah, I get lonely. Like, she's just completely candid. Um, so I think that that's what's funny about him as well. I, do, I, I even think when he's trying to be honest or he's trying to be, in t- you know, try and be sincere in that moment, there's still a guardedness that he, he, he won't let, he won't relinquish. He won't let himself mm-hmm. go. Does does his, I guess, um, origin story get explored in the film? Like, it's quite an interesting, even from this minute, you've got a whole bunch of questions about, well, I mean, she's asleep and being lovely, so you have fewer questions about her. <laughs> yes. But, like, is, is, his, is his origin story explored in the film and how he got to be the way that he is? Yeah, there's, um, there's some really good moments where he sort of, uh, Neil will sort of give some sage advice, I guess, criminal advice. Mm-hmm. You know, we heard from Jimmy McElwain on The Yard, da-da-da, so he starts to give some little bits and pieces. And then the centrepiece of the film is a conversation between Robert De Niro and Al Pacino in a cafe where Pacino begins the conversation sort of talking about his Macaulay's history by his stints in different jails. And so you do get a sense of some of that, but there's also um, a great line where he's starting to talk about some pretty serious jail time that he's done prior to this moment of them interacting. And uh, De Niro's character, um, Neil, just says, you looking to become a penologist? Um, because it's like, you, you're just asking dumb questions about, I've been in jail. Like, you know, mm. what, do you, what do you care what my answers are about jail? Um, so, yeah, look, it's not everything. But um, I did hear, and I know that Heat fans would be following along closely, that Michael Mann has been collaborating on a prequel book about both of these characters um, uh, and how they arrived at Heat. So Vincent, firstly, um, and Neil, perhaps to give more of that backstory about how he is the way that he is. But yeah, there's uh, there's these little sprinkles that you get senses of how he's operated and who he's become. But I, I think one of those real key moments for me, and I actually learned it in the research of this podcast, is that that, that Marine tattoo paints an entirely new potential backstory for me of the character um, than I had before. Mm, yeah, definitely. No, it's, it's interesting how much is... Um, for what is quite a straightforward scene, so there's maybe only two three kind of key things that happen or key movements, how much is actually in there in that 60 seconds? Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, absolutely. This is a key, I think, especially because it's the culmination of a scene. So it's a bit of a dance and it's sort of like, it's like a really condensed courting scene. You know, it's something that Mm. could have gone on for a lot longer, but they've just condensed it into this really short sort of five to six minute stanza of the movie. Um, But yeah, we're right at that, right at the end. So, Rose, what were the questions that you wanted to ask? Are there any more questions that you want to ask about Michael Mann, this project, and these portrayals of masculinity? I guess the question for me is one that you've probably answered in in earlier episodes or perhaps right at the beginning, but the question for me is is perhaps one that's slightly outside of the film, which is more about tackling quite a long film minute by minute is quite a substantial undertaking, particularly when, you know, you have a family and, and, you know, a job and, you know, life around it. Yes. So what is it about this film 
that made you want to dig into it like this on this kind of granular level? Um, it's a weird... Uh, so some folks, you know, and this is sort of everyone, it's, you know, some people prefer to watch a film or, you know, just whether whether you're a cinephile or you're just a punter, some people prefer to watch a film and, and some people then have this obsession with new where they very, very rarely will revisit a film, even if they really mm-hmm. love it. Um, they'll very rarely, you know, especially new films, you might see one film in the year and go, oh, that was fantastic, I must revisit it and you won't revisit it for a year. Um, I'm really different to that. Whereas I love, I love seeing new stuff. Um, and I think, you know, kind of, especially when you do have a family, you have to be a little bit more discerning. So sometimes you have to wait until you have people who you read or friends will say, that's really good. You should see it. You know, if you've only got a choice to, um, to see a film instead of five films a week, like I may have, uh, before having kids, um, and having a family, uh, I can only see one or two. So then you've got to be a little bit more discerning. But what I found Rosie is that I kept, um, I very frequently revisit films that I love. Mm. And what kept happening is uh, I would very often revisit this film and I would very often, no matter how many times I've watched it, and I've watched it many, many, many times for many different projects and writing things and, and, and studied the, the minute centerpiece at the at the center of this film for a for an honors thesis for a university um, uh, course, and uh, I still was drawn back to it, and I was still seeing new things. And mm-hmm. for me, I thought uh, there was an amazing quote from Guillermo del Toro that I read maybe a few months ago. I'm going to see if I can find it um, while we're talking, Guillermo del Toro. Um, and he was talking about film criticism and one of the, and I'll get, I'm going to paraphrase it, but then I'm going to find, um, I'm going to find the exact quote is he, he said something along the lines of film criticism should be about, you know, film criticism should be about when you're talking about what makes if you sort of, you're explaining and, and articulating and analyzing and, um, why, what makes a film great, you know, when you're talking about film criticism, you should be talking or not great, <laughs> but, but in the case of heat, it's what makes it great. And so I guess when I kept thinking about it, I kept thinking of, this is such a rich text that I've literally watched hundreds of times and mm-hmm. talked to many people about it who've, who've jived with it and engaged with it. And I thought, I'm always drawn back to it. So it's almost like the ultimate way to revisit the film and to unpack it and then feel like I can be purged of it. And not in a bad way, but it's like you drawn to it so much. How exhaustively can I tackle this thing? Um, and, and how, and how much can I draw people into the campfire of what makes this movie so spectacular and so infinitely rewatchable? Um, Mm. and, and, and sort of, yeah, draw that in because, yeah, there's many, many people, people even such as yourself who'd never seen the film, who watched the film and were very impressed with it and then have had chats with me about it, um, that, yeah, I just, I find it such an infinitely rewarding piece of art. So I feel like, I feel like it deserves it. And there are some that are like, uh, there are also other pieces of art that have had this treatment, right? So there's like Star Wars was the first one. And that is, you know, that's a seminal, a seminal film that, you know, George Lucas went to the book of Joseph Conrad and, um, and, uh, uh, like basically wrote 
a mm-hmm. hero's journey, a hero's journey 101, make the most accessible um, hero's journey story ever made, made into a sci-fi that's like one of the most popular texts in the world, and it's drive with everyone in the universe. But this, I think this, you know, 1995 movie um, is out of all crime movies. There's just no other movie that's like Heat. And there is, and 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 there are so many elements, archetypal elements of it, but it just elevates it to a level that I just don't think it's ever been touched before. So for me, it was also apart from loving it and being important and revisiting it, I just found it always like a film that no matter if I, if I watched a piece of garbage or I watched something amazing, it would either inspire me more if I watched something amazing, or if I watched a piece of garbage, it was like the perfect palate cleanser to clear it out, so you could be inspired again to love movies. Um, and so yeah, that's in a nutshell what. I love about it, and what's and this project has just been infinitely rewarding to talk about it more to people who love it, or even people who don't love it who got to revisit it and are challenged by it, or you know have interesting perspectives on it. It's just really you know, um, it's just been an amazing, an amazing exercise. Yeah, okay, that's really interesting. Um, what was I going to say? God, you had me going there, Rosie, and now I'm uh, I'm lost. Um, so, um, um, one of the other things I think um, that uh, in in an earlier minute of the podcast, um, one of my my favorite living film critic. Let's not put any two ways about it. Manola Dargis was on the show, and um, I think one of the things that she talked about, and this is a great theme to sort of carry on with what you were talking about, Rosie, before, is she described Edie as as Neil's Fiji. So there's some there's in the lead up to this moment, Neil's talking about, you know, going off to Fiji, this iridescent algae, you know, I'm gonna go live there, I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna be in New Zealand, whatever. He's talking about that in a, from a Pacific Island perspective. But in collateral, mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx, who's the main character in collateral, he has this pitch picture, this postcard of Fiji that he keeps in his in his uh his limo that he drives around the place. Um his private car. And um that that postcard is his like his happy place and and so there are motifs of you know a happy place for a lot of these guys that is either real or imagined that sort of goes throughout man's work and i think in this moment um i've even been more even in this conversation um in the conversation about these moments that have been preceded it and in the conversation with you now rosie i think the there's a very specific thing that I look at Edie and and in that longing that Neil's there is like, this is, he sees, I think in that moment, that final wrestle, he's actually realizing that this is that escape that I'm going to go to New Zealand and live this happy life doesn't actually mean anything. Mm -hmm. It's not real to him unless it's her. Like there's something Mm -hmm. in that moment that he's kind of realized or he's wrestling with and he's going, is, is the BS that I speak about this New Zealand being my getaway, is that real or is it imagined? And right now she's realer than that imagination, you know, realer than anything he's conjured or read about in a bookstore. Like that, that's that moment. And so I think it's really important for later minutes that we watch with him, um, especially in the climax of the film, that yeah, um, that we get to talk about it. And that makes sense why, I guess, because 15 seconds is an ample amount of time for... Um, I guess for for a face driven shot, it makes sense why it was given, you know, that little bit extra. Um, if it's such a kind of underpinning moment for his, you know, future moves. Yes, indeed. Well, 
ladies and gentlemen, this the you've heard it here. This is the final sort of moment, a such an important character moment for Neil McCauley before we jump off into the investigation. We follow on to some fantastic scenes coming up with Vincent Hanner on Neil's trail. We've been introduced to the characters. We are now officially 32 episodes down in one heat minute. Rosie, Rose Powell has joined me. Rosie, I've been calling you. Sorry, Rosie. Uh, Rose Powell has been joining us. Um, and thank you so much for being a part of the show, both in secret, hidden, um, in future or past episodes of One Heat Minute that have aired or haven't be aired yet. But thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you so much for listening to the show and joining along. And uh, And this has been an awesome conversation. I hope you've had fun, but I certainly have. Um, and guys, uh, if you want to follow Rosie, you can just go onto Twitter at Rose Powell, um, Powell, P-O-W-E-L-L. Um, that is the best place to find her stuff. There is currently the most very amazing picture of The Rock uh, wearing butterfly wings as her avatar, uh, which is outstanding. And I've got it on a hot tip that if it's not The Rock with butterfly wings, it may be Harrison Ford dressing up like a nun holding a wine bottle, depending on her mood, which uh, I'm definitely going to go and check out some more pictures of that on the internet. Rose, thank you so much for being a part of One Heat Minute. Thanks, Blake. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe to One Heat Minute if you haven't already on iTunes or on Stitcher. You can find everything about the show on oneheatminute.com. I am Blake Howard, at Blake is Batman on Twitter. Thank you to Mr. Garth Franklin for our website design. Thank you to Paul Davies for our music. And we'll be back next week uh, for more One Heat Minute. And I have not only the special show of Rosie coming up, but I also have a bonus, a sneak peek at one of the episodes in our 130th <laughs> in the 130th frame long time in advance um, a bonus uh, sneak peek of that episode coming up as well so Rose thank you so much for joining me thank you guys for listening and we'll speak to you soon